This audio is presented by Hacker Noon, where anyone can learn anything about any technology. The Trail of Death, by Astounding Stories. Astounding Stories of Super Science, February 1930, by Astounding Stories is part of Hacker Noon's book blog post series. You can jump to any chapter in this book here. The Beetle Horde, Chapter 9. The Trail of Death Astounding Stories of Super Science, February 1930. The Beetle Horde, Chapter X. Dot. There's sure some sort of hoodoo on these Antarctic expeditions, Wilson, said the city editor of the Daily Record to the star rewrite man. He glanced through the hastily typed report that had come through on the wireless set erected on the 36th story of the record building. Tommy Travers gone, eh? And James Dodd, too. There'll be woe and wailing along the Great White Way tonight when this news gets out. They say that half the chorus girls in town considered themselves engaged to Tommy. Nice fellow, too. Always did like him. Queer, that curtain of fog that seems to lie on the actual site of the South Pole, he continued, glancing over the report again. So Storm thinks that Tommy crashed in it, and that it's a million to one against their ever finding his remains. What's this about beetles? Shells of enormous prehistoric beetles found be Tommy and Dodd. That'll make good copy, Wilson. Let's play that up. Hand it o' Jones, and tell him to scare up a catching headline or two. He beckoned to the boy who was hurrying toward his desk, a flimsy in his hand, glanced through it, and tossed it toward Wilson. What do they think this is, April Fool's Day? He asked. I'm surprised that the international press should fall for such stuff as that. Why, tomorrow is the first of April, exclaimed Wilson, tossing back the cable dispatch with a contemptuous laugh. Well, it won't do the IP much good to play those tricks on their subscribers, said the city editor testily. I'm surprised, to say the least. I guess their Adelaide correspondent has gone off his head or something. Usingpore Travers's name, too. Of course that fellow didn't know he was dead, but still. Dot. That was how the Daily Record missed being the first to give out certain information that was to stagger the world. The dispatch, which had evidently outrun an earlier one, was as follows. Adelaide, South Australia, March 31st. Further telegraphic communications arriving almost continuously from Settlers Station, signed by Thomas Travers, member of Travers Antarctic Expedition, who claims to have penetrated Earth's interior at South Pole and to have come out near Victoria Desert. Travers states that swarm of prehistoric beetles, estimated at two trillion, and as large as men, with shells impenetrable by rifle bullets, now besieging Settlers Station, where Heen, Dodd and Hadia, women of subterranean race whom they brought away, are shut up in telegraph office. Bram, former member of Greystoke Expedition, said to bind charge of swarm, with intention of obliterating human race. Every living thing at Settlers Station destroyed, and swarm moving south. It was a small town paper a hundred miles from New York that took a chance on publishing this report from the international press, in spite of frantic efforts in the parts of the head office to recall it after it had been transmitted. This paper published the account as an April Fool's Day joke, though later it took Toitself the credit for having believed it. But by the time April Fool's Day dawned all the world knew that the account was, if anything, an underestimate of the fearful things that were happening, down under. IT was known now that the swarm of monsters had originated in the Great Victoria Desert, one of the worst stretches of desolation in the world, situated in the southeast corner of Western Australia. Their numbers were incalculable. Wimbish, the aviator, who was attempting to cross the continent from east to west, reported afterward that he had flown for four days, skirting the edge of the swarm, and that the whole of that time they were moving in the same direction, a thick cloud that left a trail of dense darkness on earth beneath them, like the path of an eclipse. Wimbish escaped them only because he had a ceiling of 20,000 feet, to which apparently the beetles could not soar. 
and this swarm was only about one-fourth of the whole number of the monsters. This was the swarm that was moving westward, and subsequently totally destroyed all living things in Kalgoorlie, Coolgarda, Perth, and all the coastal cities of Western Australia. Ships were found drifting in the Indian Ocean, totally destitute of crews and passengers, not even their skeletons were found, and it was estimated that the voracious monsters had carried them away bodily, devoured them in the air, and dropped the remains into the water. All the world knows now how the sea elephant herd on Kerguelen Island was totally destroyed, and of the giant shells that were found lying everywhere on the deserted beaches, in positions that showed the monsters had in the end devoured one another. Mauritius was the most westerly point reached by a fraction of the swarm. A little over 20,000 of the beetles reached that lovely island, by count of the shells afterward, and all the world knows now of the desperate and successful fight that the inhabitants waged against them. Men and women, boys and girls, blacks and whites, finding that the devils were invulnerable against trifle fire, sallied forth boldly with knives and choppers, and laid down a life for a life. On the second day after their appearance, the main swarm, a trillion and a half strong, reached the line of the transcontinental railway, and moved eastward into South Australia, travelling, it was estimated, at the rate of 200 miles an hour. By the next morning they were in Adelaide, a city of nearly a quarter of a million people. By nightfall every living thing in Adelaide and the suburbs had been eaten, except for a few who succeeded in hiding in walled upcellars, or in the surrounding marshes. That night the swarm was on the borders of New South Wales and Victoria, and moving in two divisions toward Melbourne and Sydney. The northern half, it was quickly seen, was flying, wild, with no particular objective, moving in a solid cohort 200 miles in length, and devouring game, stock, and humans indiscriminately. It was the southern division, numbering perhaps a trillion, that was under command of Bram, and aimed at destroying Melbourne as Adelaide had been destroyed. Bram, with his eight beetle steeds, was by this time known and execrated throughout the world. He was pictured as Antichrist, and the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Rock of Revelations. And all this while, or, rather, until the telegraph wires were cut, broken, it was discovered later, by perching beetles, Thomas Travers was sending out messages from his post at Settler's Station. Soon it was known that prodigious creatures were following in the wake of the devastating horde. Mantises, 15 feet in height, winged things like pterodactyls, longer than bombing airplanes, followed, preying on the stragglers. But the main bodies never halted, and the inroads that the destroyers made on their numbers were insignificant. Before the swarm reached Adelaide the Commonwealth government had taken action. Troops had been called out, and all the available airplanes in the country had been ordered to assemble at Broken Hill, New South Wales, a strategic point commanding the approaches to Sydney and Melbourne. Something like 400 airplanes were assembled, with several batteries of anti-aircraft guns that had been used in the Great War. Every amateur aviator in Australia was on the spot, with machines ranging from tiny moths to Hanley pages, anything that could fly. Nocturnal though the beetles had been, they no longer feared the light of the sun. In fact, it was ascertained later that they were blind. An opacity had for med over the crystalline lens of the eye. Blind, they were no less formidable than with their sight. They existed only to devour, and their numbers made them irresistible, no matter which way they turned. As soon as the vanguard of the dark cloud was sighted from Broken Hill, the airplanes went aloft. 400 planes, each armed with machine guns, dashed into the serried hosts, drumming out volleys of lead. In a long line, extending nearly to the limits of the beetle formation, thus giving each aviator all the room he needed, the planes gave battle. The first terror that fell upon the airmen was the discovery that, even at close range, the machine gun bullets failed to penetrate the shells. The force of the impact whirled the beetles around, drove them together in bunches, 
sent them groping with weaving tentacles through the air, but that was all. On the main body of the invaders no impression was made whatever. The second terror was the realization that the swarm, driven down here and there from an altitude of several hundred feet, merely resumed their progress on the ground, in a succession of gigantic leaps. Within a few minutes, instead of presenting an inflexible barrier, the line of airplanes was badly broken, each plane surrounded by swarms of the monsters. Then Bram was seen. And that was the third terror, the sight of the famous beetle steeds, four pairs abreast, with Bram reclining like a Roman emperor upon the surface of the shells. It is true, Bram had no inclination to risk his own life in battle. At the first sight of the aviators he dodged into the thick of the swarm, where no bullet could reach him. Bram managed to transmit an order, and the beetles drew together. Some thought afterward that it was by thought transference he effected this maneuver, for instantly the beetles, which had hitherto flown in loose order, became a solid wall, a thousand feet in height, closing in on the planes. The propellers struck them and snapped short, and as the planes went weaving down, the hideous monsters leapt into the cockpits and began their abominable meal. Not a single plane came back. Planes and skeletons, and here and there a shell of a dead beetle, itself completely devoured, were all that was found afterward. The gunners stayed at their posts till the last moment, firing round after round of shell and shrapnel, with insignificant results. Their skeletons were found not twenty paces from their guns, where the gunner's monument now stands. Half an hour after the flight had first been sighted the news was being radioed to Sydney, Melbourne, and all other Australian cities, advising instant flight OC as the only chance of safety. That radio message was cut short, and men listened and shuddered. After that came the crowding aboard all craft in the harbours, the tragedies of the Eustace, the All Australia, the Sepphoris, sunk at their moorings. The innumerable sea tragedies. The horde of fugitives that landed in New Zealand. The reign of terror when the mob got out of hand. The burning of Melbourne. The sack of Sydney. And south and eastward, like a resistless flood, the beetle swarm came pouring. Well had Bram boasted that he would make the earth a desert. A hundred miles of poisoned carcasses of sheep, extended outside Sydney suburbs, gave the first promise of success. Long mounds of beetle shells testified to the results. Moreover, the beetles that fed on the carcasses of their fellows, were in turn poisoned and died. But this was only a drop in the bucket. What counted was that the swift advance was slowing down. As if exhausted by their efforts, or else satiated with food, the beetles were doing what the soldiers did. They were digging in, 24 miles from Sydney, 18 outside Melbourne, the advance was stayed. Volunteers who went out from those cities reported that the beetles seemed to be resting in long trenches that they had excavated, so that only their shells appeared above ground. Trees were covered with clinging beetles, every wall, every house was invisible beneath the beetle armor. Australia had a respite, perhaps only for a night or day, but still time to draw breath, time to consider, time for the shiploads of fugitives to get farther from the continent that had become a shambles. And then the cry went up, not only from Australia, but from all the world, get Travers, about Hacker Noon book series, we bring you the most important technical, scientific, and insightful public domain books. This book is part of the public domain. Various. 2009. Astounding Stories of Super Science, February 1930. Urbana, Illinois. Project Gutenberg. Retrieved May 2022 from https colon slash slash www.gutenberg.org. Files, 28617-28617-H, 28617-H. HTM hashtag the beetle hoard this ebook is for the use of anyone anywhere at no cost and with almost no restrictions whatsoever. You may copy it, 
give it away or reuse it under the terms of the Project Gutenberg license included with this ebook or online at www.gutenberg.org. Located at https colon slash slash www.gutenberg.org. Policy. License. HTML. Thank you for listening to this Hackernoon story, read by Artificial Intelligence. Visit hackernoon.com to read, write, learn and publish. Dot.